Please open your Bibles to John chapter 11. Continuing on in our study through the Gospel of John, and last week we studied up through verse 37 of John chapter 11, so today we'll be picking it up in verse 38. So uh, Jesus has gotten word that Lazarus was sick and has died, and he made the trip to the town of Bethany with his disciples. He has had a conversation with Martha, then with Mary, who are the sisters of Lazarus. We saw that Jesus was very deeply moved by all the emotion that surrounded this situation. Verse 35 of chapter 11 here tells us that he wept after Mary had come crying out to him. And then verse 38 here says, Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Now, we touched on this last time, but Jesus is well acquainted with all of our human emotions. And here in verse 38, it says that Jesus was groaning in himself. Now, that word groaning there was taken from the Greek word embremaomi, and I won't make you repeat that, it's, but it's a word that means to snort with anger. Picture a bull being tormented by that skinny little guy holding the red towel. The bull is angry. And Jesus here displays the same emotion that many people feel when death strikes close to home. Death strikes a loved one. Jesus doesn't enjoy death. He is eternal life, and he came to redeem us from the curse of sin and death. And it won't be long from where we are in our study of this gospel to where he will go and conquer death and the grave. Now, whenever I've ministered to grieving people, I always assure them of the fact that every and all emotion is understood by our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but the fact that he became flesh made him acquainted with all that we have to go through here on this earth. I want you to turn in your Bibles to your Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. So the book of Isaiah, and we're going to look at chapter 53. Now you'll find Isaiah, like I said, in the Old Testament, right after the book of Psalms, and right before the book of Daniel. So if you find Daniel, go back a little bit further. If you find Psalms, go to the right. But uh, chapter 53, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. So Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 1. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now this is speaking about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. He is despised, verse 3 says, and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne all of our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I really encourage you to read this whole chapter on your own because it's a wonderful prophetic book about our Lord Jesus Christ. But we must understand that when it comes to our lives in this flesh, Jesus understands it all. And on the cross, he paid it all. You see, there is no pain nor grief that he does not understand. You see, oftentimes we paint our own portrait of Jesus and, and we picture him as, as beautiful. You know, wavy hair, bright blue eyes, all of these things, ways that we want to picture him or we might picture him in, in some other way. But he is God in the flesh. He came to redeem us from the curse of sin and death, as I've already stated here. But he, he came, and the fact that he came shows that he understands. He became one of us. We beheld his glory, it says in John chapter 1. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And today, you and I, we walk by faith in Jesus Christ. We don't walk by sight. I've never seen him. I've said this before, but in my 24 plus years now of, of uh, following Jesus Christ, of uh, being a disciple of his, I've never seen him. So it's a completely a walk by faith. And if anyone tries to tell you it's, it's something different, it's not. You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So God has, has chosen faith. That which to the rest of the world is foolishness. You see, the world says, believe what you see. But the Word of God tells us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in the unseen. In Hebrews, it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So we are a people that are here and are walking by faith. So, so don't paint your own portrait of of the Lord Jesus. Read the facts about him. Read, study your Bible. Find out who he really is. Don't let a religion or any man portray or paint him in any way for you. You see, when I do these teachings, I I try very hard not to give you my opinions or my interpretations. I want to point you to the Word of God because it's the Word of God that will re reveal the truth to you about who God is, who Jesus Christ is, who His Holy Spirit is. So we'll continue on back in John chapter 11. Go ahead and turn back there. Jesus wept with sorrow. Okay, and then as He approached the tomb of Lazarus, He, he felt anger because of the, the grips of death, the sting of death. And, and what he, he lost a good friend here. But verse 39 of John chapter 11 goes on to say, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Now, if you remember back in verse 21, 
We saw where Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, she informed Jesus that he arrived too late. And here again, she reiterates that it's too late, Jesus. She feels there's no hope. But you know, when it comes to Jesus, there's always hope. Now, does that mean that our loved ones will rise again to physical life here on this earth after they've died? No. But remember, the gospel is not about this life. It's not about life eternal on this earth. It's about life eternal in heaven. It's about what we have awaiting us after this life. You see, Jesus did not come to give us eternal life in this body. Yes, we know his presence. Yes, we are filled with his Holy Spirit. Yes, we can have the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit living within us here on this earth. But ultimately, it all comes down to he redeemed us, that we someday will go back and be with him. And as we read about the miracles that Jesus performed, uh, we do so with an understanding that he was showing the world that he was God in the flesh and that he came to offer us a hope and a future. He came, like I said, to redeem us. You see, as Martha reminds Jesus that the body of Lazarus probably stinks after being dead for four days, we must realize that Jesus knows there are things in our hearts that stink as well. But you know, as I read that, I think about how true life is found when the stone is rolled away. You see, our resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our hope, I should say, is in the resurrection. And when that stone rolled away, we have that, that, that hope of rising again to eternal life. But you know, in a practical sense for us as followers of Jesus Christ here on this earth today, we must choose to allow Jesus to do a work in our hearts. You see, there's a, a stone over our hearts oftentimes. It could be from the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It could be from bitterness that has taken root within your heart, unforgiveness, something that has happened in your life that has caused you to, to question this, that, or the other thing. And that stone that, that covers our heart, it needs to be rolled away. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ and we, we die to ourselves and we say it's no longer about us, it's about Jesus Christ. It's about living as unto him. We place our faith in him, our total trust in him, and we end up seeing the glory of God. Just like Jesus reminds Martha here in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, not because of the people who are standing by, I said this, excuse me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So there in verse 40, it says, Jesus said, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you see, that's faith, believe, 
you would see the glory of God. And then he goes on here again, and he states the whole reason as to, as to why he came, as to why he did all the things that he did, why we have the written word, why we open, open it up today and study it, is so that we can believe that God has sent the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what the Gospel of John was written for. As a matter of fact, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. So stay right here in the Gospel of John and go ahead and turn up to chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 30 and 31. It says, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, there it is right there. It's as simple as it gets. It's all about believing in Jesus and having life in his name. And as we study the gospel of John here, its purpose is to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we'll go through difficult times here on this earth, but when we are abiding in Jesus, we have hope and we can rest safe and assured of our eternity when our lives are completely in the hands of Jesus Christ and we are trusting in him and our eyes are fixed on him. Now verse 43 says, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. You see, now many have said that uh, other commentators on the Bible have said that if, if Jesus didn't specify for Lazarus to come forth, then who knows how many people would have come out of the graves. But let's keep in mind here that the purpose for the resurrection of Lazarus was stated by Jesus in verse 4, when he said that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So you see, there were not a bunch of souls of dead people hanging out in their bodies in the grave. That, did, that wasn't taking place. We don't stay in these bodies once we've passed away. But in this case, God was using the death of Lazarus as a way to have Jesus glorified in the eyes of the people. Today, we have the written word of God that tells us all that Jesus had said and done so that Jesus can be glorified or, or lifted up or elevated, if you will, in our hearts and minds as well. That's why we have the Word of God. So make sure that as you read your Bibles, that you read it within its context. The whole purpose for the sickness, death, and resurrection of Lazarus was so that Jesus would be glorified in the eyes of people, so that they would come to place their faith in him as the Messiah. Are there miracles today that take place? Yes, there are. But these miracles are for the purpose of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The salvation of mankind is, is very clearly seen in the Bible 
as the primary focus of God the Father. And the Word of God was written by men that were inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. The Word of God causes our hearts to understand the truth about God, and it also presents us with a choice to believe or to not believe. Now, the reason that I'm pointing all of this out is that we cannot pick out individual scriptures or chapters in the Bible and make our own doctrine out of it. You see, very few people have ever risen from the dead. The only ones I know of personally are Lazarus and Jesus. Lazarus was risen for the glory of Jesus and Jesus was risen for the glory of God. Now, there are a couple other incidents of it in the Bible, I know. So, But my point is here, is that without the resurrection of Jesus, then we just have a dead man that claimed to be God. I want to say that again. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then he would have just been another dead man that claimed to be God or claimed to be something special. But you see, with the resurrection of Jesus, we see and we have the hope of eternal life. In other words, we never really die. We just pass on. And you know, while we're on this subject, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Corinthians is to the right of where we are now in the Gospel of John. It's right after the book of Romans. And, uh, of course, it's right before the book of 2 Corinthians. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 12 through 22 and, and talk about those verses a little bit in between. So hopefully you're there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12. It says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, there are people even today that say, We die, and that's it. It's all over. We no longer exist. What Paul was talking about here in his letter to the, to the people in the city of Corinth, it, it still goes on today. Verse 13, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's powerful. Our faith would be futile. It'd be worthless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You see, without the resurrection, we're, we're still in sin. We'd still be in sin. There'd be no hope for us. Jesus, our Savior, just died and that was it. That's all there was to it. We'd still be spiritually dead because of sin. Verse 18, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Think about that. 
What good would it be if we had no hope of eternal life? We might as well just take the attitude of eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the hope of eternity. Verse 20 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now that word first fruits there means to take the first portion of something and offer it to God. Well, Jesus was the first human being to rise to eternal life. Lazarus, he died again. Bummer for him, huh? Guy had to die twice. Verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So the sin of Adam and Eve brought about both a, a, a spiritual and a physical death upon mankind. But the resurrection of Jesus offers the gift of eternal life with God to all of those that will receive it. It's a free gift, but it must be received. Go ahead and turn back to John chapter 11. Uh, continuing on, verse 44 says, And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. You know, when a person is born again, they are in effect risen from the dead. They were dead in sin, but they receive forgiveness of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ. But you see, even after we have risen from the grips of sin, there are still grave clothes, if you will, that, that we need to be loosed from. And day by day, the Lord, through the working of His Holy Spirit within us, continually frees us from the sin of this world. And then what takes place is that others around us begin to see the work of Jesus in our lives. And it causes them to want to know about Jesus. And they want to believe in Him. Like, look at verse 45. It says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in Him. But you know, there are always those that will not believe. And they desire to disrupt everything. And that's what we see here in verse 46. It says, But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. You see, some things never change. These priests and these Pharisees, as the religious leaders of the day, were only concerned with losing their position of prestige in the eyes of the people. They wanted control. If Jesus kept doing the things he was doing, then everything, everyone would become followers of Jesus they were worried about. 
and their positions would no longer be necessary, and this would cause an uproar politically, and the Romans would come in and take over, or at least that was their fear. But Jesus didn't come to be a political leader. He came instead to give us hope, peace, and joy, and above all else, he came to give us eternal life in the kingdom of God. And the high priest even knew this. Look at verse 49. One of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. So Caiaphas knew that the reason for the coming of the Messiah was not for the destruction of their nation, but rather for the salvation of their nation and its people. And it was his position as high priest that caused him to know this. Look at verse 51. It says, Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So Caiaphas here was definitely inspired by God to speak those words. And Caiaphas was not a good man at all. But you know, God can speak through anyone or anything he so chooses to do. God is sovereign. But you would think that since Caiaphas had had said all this, that maybe these people would change their minds about Jesus. But as we look at verse 53, we'll see that they did not. It says, then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. So now they're all sitting down amongst themselves and devising a plan on how they're going to kill Jesus. They felt that their political power was being jeopardized by Jesus and and they're going to get rid of him at all cost. So Jesus His time is short, and verse 54 says, Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. So here again, as we read verse 54 here, we must keep in mind that Jesus, though every bit God, was every bit man. When it says there that He no longer walked openly. That word openly there is a Greek word meaning to walk confident and boldly. So he walked amongst those that persecuted him with confidence and boldness, but he also had the need to be away and to be surrounded by those that loved him. And as we walk through this life, we have various emotions. We have times of great highs and times of great lows and everything in between. You see, Jesus had men plotting to kill him, and he was very, very undeserving of this. But here again, we have a great example to follow as we walk today in the ways of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, he understands our highs. And he understands our lows. And by his Holy Spirit, he is with us through it all. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 55 says, And the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover 
to purify themselves. Now, there's a historian that lived during these days by the name of Josephus, and he recorded events that took place in the nation of Ismail, Israel. Excuse me, uh, Josephus states that the temple records recorded 250,000 sheep were slaughtered during this particular Passover feast that's mentioned here in verse 55. And you know, in that day, the Jews would perform various purification rituals. One of the things they would do is sacrifice a lamb for their household. So let's just say that Indeed, there was 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed. Then that means that there were 250,000 households represented there in Jerusalem. So counting men, women, and children, there would have been, who knows, possibly 2 million people in Jerusalem for this Passover. And do you know what the hot topic was of this Passover feast? It was Jesus. Look at verse 56. Then they sought Jesus and spoke amongst themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? This is what they were saying. They figured he would show up. So they were going to, the, the Pharisees and were going to put it, was going to put everybody on alert. Excuse me. Verse 57. Now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. So they're serious here. They're serious about getting Jesus this time. He was disrupting their livelihood. And you know, today, people still want to get rid of Jesus because they don't want the message that comes along with the name. You see, the name of Jesus means an end to sin, and people like sin. Our flesh loves sin. But what they must realize is that the name of Jesus offers forgiveness of sin. The price has been paid, and the final sacrifice has been made. Religious purification and the slaughtering of lambs is no longer necessary. Because the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. But John 3, 19 says that mankind loves darkness rather than light because their, their deeds are evil. But you know, it's kind of ironic here in chapter 11 of the Gospel of John that they chased the Lamb of God out of the city who offered forgiveness and purification, and they brought in 250,000 lambs to try and make themselves righteous. And that's what religion is. And that's what religion does. It's self-righteousness. It's doing it on your own terms. It's saying, I can live how I want six days a week, and I can go to church on Sunday, and repent and live again how I want another six days. But you know, the only one that was worthy enough to make us righteous is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And that is why He came. He came to redeem us. 
but we must turn unto him. We must repent. We must make that choice to say, it's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me, as it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Where are you today? Where's your heart? It's not, a, you know, I, I'm not asking you to, to join a church. I'm not asking you to, to send money. None of that. It's, it's between you and God. And I'm simply, through the word of God now, just pointing you to Jesus and saying, he loves you. Just as you are, you can come unto him. But it's got to be your choice. He so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it's by faith, it's by believing in him that we have eternal life. So I encourage you to seek the Lord in prayer this week. If you don't have a, a time where you, you go somewhere and pray, and, and you know, it doesn't have to be anywhere special. It doesn't, you don't have to be in a room with the right lighting. You can go anywhere and you can just get alone for a minute or two and, and call out to God and seek him and ask him to reveal himself to you. He'll show you who he is. For he desires that you would know him. God is not willing that any should perish, the Bible says. He wants everyone to come to everlasting life in the name of Jesus. So God bless. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time as we continue on in our study through the Gospel of John.